Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. A Senate committee report has revealed some alarming links between video games and gambling. The Senate Standing Committee on Environment and Communications has been looking into the extent to which microtransactions within games, sometimes having the characteristics of gambling games, might be harmful. Now, in gaming parlance, these things are called loot boxes. It's become known as the loot box inquiry. Loot boxes are the coins or tokens of in-game currency that you can earn by game play. It's much more likely that you'll buy them online with real money. But having cash in your loot box is desirable because you can use it to customise your character, buy items, for instance, bigger weapons, or you can play as certain popular characters. Sometimes these loot boxes contain games of chance. It's very much like gambling in the real world. And of course, you're using real-world money. Occasionally, you can win real-world money, which makes it a problem for regulation because gaming in the real world, poker machines, is regulated. Gaming inside a video game is not. Well, what should we know about it? Should we be concerned? Yes, is the short answer to that. And what can be done about it? Let's find out. Dr. Marcus Carter is lecturer in digital cultures at the University of Sydney. His research is into the social, persuasive and educational dimensions of gameplay and gameplay experience. He made a submission to this Senate inquiry. Dr. Carter, welcome to Open House. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Can you describe for us who have not you know, who are not in this world, what would it look like if I came across a loot box? How does it work? So basically, in a lot of different... There's, obviously, there's a wide range of how these things are configured, but the basic principle is that you can take some currency that you've earned in-game, or maybe you've bought that currency with real money, and then you can basically pay a little bit of that currency to get a chance at winning an item, right? And what that kind of looks like is you... you press buy and then there's an animation, there's lights, maybe there's sound, and then you find out what you've got. And sometimes that can be something that you really want, something really rare that you're really excited about. But most of the time, it's just some something not too normal. So, you know, there's that temp- temptation to press that buy button again until you get what you want. So it's a little bit like um, a poker machine inside another game, which might be a, and generally is a role-play game, where you have a, a task, a function, you're assigned a character, you might be part of a team accomplishing some sort of mission. Exactly, right? So it, it, it's a, it's a, they're taking a gambling mechanic and they're putting that inside a digital game. Is that as harmful as, as gambling in the, in the so-called real world? Well, the problem is we don't know. Now, is it as harmful as gambling in the real world? Probably not because you're not gambling real money directly. Um, there's that extra layer. Mm. and it's. Uh, but at the same time, it, there are some where you do have the opportunity to gamble real money and then get something that is uh, – get something back that you can sell for real money. So it becomes materially gambling. What I'm really interested in with this, though, Stephen, is what is the effect of this – particularly on children who are playing this game, of how it might be normalising gambling. So even though the gambling in the game isn't using real money and you're not, you're not paying real money for it and you're not getting real money back, how is that going to impact your kind of perception of gambling? Well, you, you have to say on the surface, surely it, it prepares you for a life of, um, well, not necessarily addiction, but a life where that's part of your world, surely. 
Exactly. And, and now the Senate report didn't go so far as saying that that's definitely the case. The two recommendations that they made were for a review of loot boxes in games and for more research. But it's clear that more research is definitely needed because it's just common sense that if you've got these gambling mechanics in games, that that's going to, and that's introducing these types of gambling mechanics to kids at a younger age. They're, they're, they're vulnerable and it's going to um, potentially target people who are vulnerable to gambling uh, when, when they're adults. But the bigger problem is that because these aren't legally gambling games, they don't have to have give every player the same odds. So that some of these um, games are able to identify you as uh, someone maybe who, you know, you're not that inclined to gamble. You know, if I told you you've got a 1 in 100 chance of winning, you're, you're not going to engage with that. But I could give you a special one-time offer right now of a 1 in 5 chance of winning. Hmm. And then that's maybe going to make you gamble. So they're actually able to, because the goods that they're giving you as a reward aren't worth anything at all, they're actually able to uh, play around with the odds and experiment on yeah, their users yeah. to be able to make them more likely to make the real money purchase to get that in-game item. And that's, I think, where we're going to see some of the bigger problems because now the odds associated with the gambling, it's got nothing to do with reality. And it's going to totally warp people's perception and it plays on things like the gambler's fallacy, which if you keep gambling, eventually you'll win. Some of these games are actually configured that way. Wow. Um, am I naive if if I've thought that these things were not calculated, that the algorithms are actually trying their very best to uh, to do me harm in a sense? Well, this is my concern as a researcher, hmm. that we can I can look at what uh, – I can download an app off the App Store and I can have a look at how it's configured and how it's presented to me. But I don't know how that's actually operating under the hood. Yes, because unlike uh, poker machines and other forms of regulated gaming, there isn't a government agency <laughs> that um, that can interrogate the, the makers, that can look at the algorithm and uh, set some standards. Exactly. So how, can, how am I able to go about uh, researching the long-term impact of these if it's not clear how it's actually configured for each different user? Yes, and if you can't research it, then we don't know what's happening to our kids. Precisely, and, and this is the problem that the Senate inquiry has come up against, is mm. that, that it's clear that there's definitely something going on here. The FTC in the United States just announced that they're going to be doing an investigation. I noticed Belgium that. Has, yes. Belgium has banned loot boxes um, in games, and that's required a lot of publishers to pull games from being available to the Belgian app store. So there's clearly this big global conversation going on, and that's going on because there's clearly something amiss here. This isn't a case of an industry run amok. The majority of game developers who I speak to, they also want this to be more closely regulated because there's a few bad players who are probably going to end up ruining it for everybody. And game designers are generally game players, and game players hate these loot boxes. And this whole controversy started with a, a recent Star Wars game, which featured these quite uh, heavily, these loot boxes. Uh, and that meant that you had to buy loot boxes to be able to play as Darth Vader. And I don't know about you, but when I play a Star Wars game, I'm going to want to play as Darth Vader. So they're really, it's really having a negative effect <laughs> on the gaming industry at large. Yes. I must admit, I'm not a gamer. I, ne I never really got into that world. It was just a bit... Uh, I was I was kind of past that age when gaming really became a big thing, especially on mobile apps. But I know that many, many adults and virtually all children uh, that's now their world and if we don't know the most um, 
profound things about how it works, then I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. We don't, it's a grand experiment. We don't, we don't re- really know how it's going to turn out. For the human yeah, exactly. race, for Western civilization, exactly. yeah, yeah. Wow. Our guest on Open House is Dr. Marcus Carter. What should parents be doing? I think parents just need to be having a conversation with their kids about what games they're playing and, and what it is that they're spending their money on. Um, games like uh, Fortnite, which most parents will be familiar with at the moment, yeah. uh, something like 78 million players in, the most, in, the, in August, uh, that game actually doesn't have loot boxes. The developer has gone, we don't need this to uh, get money out of our hmm. um, players. But there are a lot of ways that you can um, s- spend real money to get uh, aesthetic improvements to your character and uh, get access to unlock features within the game. So with all of these things, it's just worth having a conversation with your kids about what they're spending their money on hmm. and making sure that they're doing, when they're doing it, it is, they're spending in a supervised way. Well, it's interesting. You don't necessarily have to spend money to get hooked because uh, a game where you earn tokens by doing things and then you use those tokens in in a in a mini game within the game, a little gambling app, uh, the parents aren't really going to know. But yes, you, you need to have a conversation if you can. That's one of the recommendations that the uh, Green Senator who uh, kicked off this inquiry made is that it should be games that have these loot boxes in them should be labelled as featuring simulated gambling yeah, yeah. so that parents are more able to make responsible decisions about what their kids should and shouldn't be engaged yes, with. Yes, without the payment of extra money, that's a really, really good point. So, Marcus, you have this uh, interplay between gaming, people playing games on devices, and now gambling, which in the real world is sometimes also called gaming, so there's a nomenclature issue there. But uh, I, I understand that they're actually learning from each other because essentially it's about human behaviour, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So in the same way that the video game industry is taking uh, ideas and psychology from the gambling industry, the gambling industry is now looking at video games and how compelling they are and how engaging they are and trying to work out how they can borrow from that and incorporate that in their uh, gambling gaming machines. And so there's some uh, what are pokey machines that are uh, being developed by some uh Gamblers, gambling companies in, in America, where you basically you play a round of a video game in between each pokey spin. Oh. And that round of the video game, you know, it's skill-based, you're shooting enemies, you're getting power-ups, and then you can use these power-ups to uh, in the next pokey uh, spin that you get, right? Hmm. So it's just a, 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 the interplay between these two domains um, and the ways in which they're borrowing from each other in order to make more compelling and more engaging and potentially and worryingly more addictive experience. Yes. In, in, um, really needs to be kept on We really need to keep an eye on it. Yes. Well, we call that convergence in the media world, and I suppose it, it's, it makes sense that technology allows you to converge things in, in other industries as well. But tell me about um, your understanding of addiction the American Psychological Society is is, uh, is looking at addiction to gaming and adding adding that to the list of human conditions, as I understand it. Um, what what's your understanding of gaming addiction? Look, that's something that I, I'm quite uncomfortable with. I feel like calling something gaming addiction is like calling something uh, calling someone addicted to books, right? It's just a, a, a fun, it's, it's an engaging thing. And now there's been times in my life, Stephen, where I've, you know, I've skipped out on meeting up with friends and I've maybe skipped a meal because I was really engrossed in the latest Harry Potter book. <laughs> but you wouldn't call me addicted. 
Mm. But, and this is the same with uh, games as well. And what the research is really showing and almost failing to show is anyone who's had, having problems in their life that originate in their play of games. Mm. What is generally the case is you've got someone who is depressed for some reason, right? you know, they might have lost their job, um, they might not be happy with, their, with where their life is at, and then they start playing video games a problematic amount. But if you address the thing that is causing um, their their depression, or, or um, you, you're able, to, mm-hmm. it, the, it, that solves the problem. The games, there's no research that shows that gaming leads to uh, a, a, you know problematic gaming um, is the, is because of gaming, right? Problematic gaming is because of other life circumstances, um, and then that's. But at the same time, we're also seeing with the increase of um, these kind of very uh, g- these gambling mechanics in video games yes. that maybe we're it's not necessarily a, an addiction to playing video games, but rather video games have are starting to introduce these features that are um, addictive in themselves, and then the combination of the two is extremely powerful and attractive, and um, is. Perhaps, perhaps turning into something that we should be more worried about. Right, so it's crossing over. If you accept the proposition that a game itself is not addictive, um, and if you become if you become dependent on it, it's because you've got something else going on in your life. So that's that's your general proposition. But yeah, what you what you're saying now is that as they add these gaming elements, gambling like elements, they could become more addictive in their own right, in and of themselves. Exactly. Mm, wow. I feel in a way that almost every inquiry that, that's ever, you know, conducted by a parliament end, ends with the recommendation, more research needs to be done here. But um, uh, what you're saying is that there's so precious little research that anything would be better than nothing. Exactly. And I mean, this is my, my opinion as a researcher of yes. video games, that more research of video games is definitely going to be a good thing. But it's a real challenge, I think, for the government to know what the right thing to do is because we really don't want to um, negatively and unfairly impact the Australian game development industry. Well, I can almost Um, hear... Well, yes, and and people's lives. I can almost hear gamers that I know sort of yelling down their radios at me saying, hang on a minute, look, it's fun, it's an activity that I enjoy with my friends. How is that different from going to, uh, I don't know, a canasta party in, in the old days or something like that? Exactly. It's, it's no different. But the real, I think the problem here is that even gamers are standing up and saying these features, these micro gambling uh, based microtransactions yeah, yeah, yeah. are uh, ruining the games that they like to play with their friends. Well, if that's the case, then the market will kind of right itself uh, to some extent, won't it? Well, you'd think <laughs> that. But the real challenge here is we're not talking about uh, spending $10 or $20 on a, on a free game. We're talking about people who are spending thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. And so what these game publishers have have identified is that it's actually more profitable to make the game free to start off with and then have these features in and target what is essentially 20 to 10 to 20 percent of the player base who will make those um, transactions and okay. get several several hundred dollars out of them instead of getting $50 out of everybody who buys the game. Yeah. Do we even know how big the industry is? How much the revenue, what the revenue base is? I think the latest numbers that I've seen are that it is uh, over 110 billion a year. And so that's oh kind word. of competing with the global film industry. Um, Rockstar Games Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, came out 
last couple of weeks. You might have seen it uh, on pretty much every billboard I've seen at the moment. <laughs> uh, that, you know, that's a game they spent, they probably spent uh, $150 to $200 million developing that game. Um, and that's then been the second biggest media release ever. $750 million US dollars in its opening weekend, right? So that blows an Avengers movie out of the water. Wow. Well, you opened our eyes to something that needs that we, that we need to be aware of. Marcus, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Dr. Marcus Carter from University of Sydney, where he's a lecturer in digital cultures. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.